Part 1, Chapter 4, Section 38 of The Life of Jesus Critically Examined by David Friedrich Strauss. Translated by George Eliot. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Part 1, History of the Birth and Childhood of Jesus. Chapter 4, Birth and Earliest Events of the Life of Jesus. Section 38, The Presentation of Jesus in the Temple. The narrative of the presentation of Jesus in the temple, from Luke chapter 2, verse 22, seems, at first glance, to bear a thoroughly historical stamp. A double law, on the one hand, prescribing to the mother an offering of purification, on the other, requiring the redemption of the firstborn son, leads the parents of Jesus to Jerusalem and to the temple. Here they meet a devout man absorbed in the expectation of the Messiah named Simeon. Many expositors hold this Simeon to be the same with Rabbi Simeon, the son of Hillel, his successor as president of the Sanhedrin, and the father of Gamaliel. Some even identify him with Samaeus of Josephus, and attach importance to his pretended descent from David because this descent makes him a relative of Jesus, and helps to explain the following scene naturally. But this hypothesis is improbable, for Luke would hardly have introduced so celebrated a personage by the meagre designation, a certain man. Without this hypothesis, however, the scene between the parents of Jesus and Simeon, as also the part played by Anna the prophetess, seems to admit of a very natural explanation. There is no necessity for supposing, with the author of the natural history, that Simeon was previously aware of the hope cherished by Mary that she was about to give birth to the Messiah. We need only, with Paulus and others, conceive the facts in the following manner. Animated, like many of that period, with the hope of the speedy advent of the Messiah, Simeon receives, probably in a dream, the assurance that before his death he will be permitted to see the expected deliverer of his nation. One day, in obedience to an irresistible impulse, he visited the temple, and on this very day Mary brought thither her child, whose beauty at once attracted his notice. On learning the child's descent from David, the attention and interest of Simeon were excited to a degree that induced Mary to disclose to him the hopes which were reposed on this scion of ancient royalty, with the extraordinary occurrences by which they had been called into existence. These hopes Simeon embraced with confidence, and in enthusiastic language gave utterance to his messianic expectations and forebodings under the conviction that they would be fulfilled in this child. Still less do we need the supposition of the author of the natural history with respect to Anna, namely, that she was one of the women who assisted at the birth of the infant Jesus, and was thus acquainted beforehand with the marvels and the hopes that had clustered round his cradle. She had heard the words of Simeon, and, being animated by the same sentiments, she gave them her approval. Simple as this explanation appears, it is not less arbitrary than we have already found other specimens of natural interpretation. 
the evangelist nowhere says that the parents of jesus had communicated anything concerning their extraordinary hopes to simeon before he poured forth his inspired words on the contrary the point of his entire narrative consists in the idea that the aged saint had by virtue of the spirit with which he was filled instantaneously discerned in jesus the messianic child and the reason why the cooperation of the holy spirit is insisted on is to make it evident how simeon was enabled without any previous information to recognize in jesus the promised child and at the same time to foretell the course of his destiny our canonical gospel refers simeon's recognition of jesus to a supernatural principle resident in simeon himself the evangelium infantiae arabicum refers it to something objective in the appearance of jesus far more in the spirit of the original narrative than the natural interpretation for it retains the miraculous element but apart from the general reasons against the credibility of miracles the admission of a miracle in this instance is attended with a special difficulty because no worthy object for the extraordinary manifestation of divine power is discoverable for that the above occurrence during the infancy of jesus served to disseminate and establish in more distant circles the persuasion of his messiahship there is no indication we must therefore with the evangelist limit the object of these supernatural communications to simeon and anna to whose devout hopes was vouchsafed the special reward of having their eyes enlightened to discern the messianic child but that miracles should be ordained for such occasional and isolated objects is not reconcilable with just ideas of divine providence thus here again we find reason to doubt the historical character of the narrative especially as we have found by a previous investigation that it is annexed to narratives purely mythical simeon's real expressions say some commentators were probably these would that i might yet behold the new-born messiah even as i now bear this child in my arms a simple wish which was transformed ex eventu by tradition into the positive enunciations now read in luke but this explanation is incomplete for the reason why such stories became current concerning jesus must be shown in the relative position of this portion of the evangelical narrative and in the interest of the primitive christian legend as to the former this scene at the presentation of jesus in the temple is obviously parallel with that at the circumcision of the baptist narrated by the same evangelist for on both occasions at the inspiration of the holy spirit god is praised for the birth of a national deliverer and the future destiny of the child is prophetically announced in the one case by the father in the other by a devout stranger that this scene is in the former instance connected with the circumcision in the latter with the presentation in the temple seems to be accidental when however the legend had once in relation to jesus 
so profusely adorned the presentation in the temple, the circumcision must be left, as we have found it, without embellishment. As to the second spring in the formation of our narrative, namely, the interest of the Christian legend, it is easy to conceive how this would act. He who, as a man, so clearly proved himself to be the Messiah, must also, it was thought, even as a child, have been recognizable in his true character, to an eye rendered acute by the Holy Spirit. He who, at a later period, by his powerful words and deeds, manifested himself to be the Son of God, must surely, even before he could speak or move with freedom, have borne the stamp of divinity. Moreover, if men, moved by the Spirit of God, so early pressed Jesus with love and reverence in their arms, then was the Spirit that animated him not an impious one, as his enemies alleged. And if a holy seer had predicted, along with the high destiny of Jesus, the conflict which he had to undergo, and the anguish which his fate would cause his mother, then it was assuredly no chance, but a divine plan, which led him into the depths of abasement on the way to his ultimate exaltation. This view of the narrative is thus countenanced positively by the nature of the fact, and negatively by the difficulties attending any other explanation. One cannot but wonder, therefore, how Schleiermacher can be influenced against it by an observation which did not prevent him from taking a similar view of the history of the Baptist's birth, namely, that the narrative is too natural to have been fabricated, and how Neander can argue against it from exaggerated ideas of the more imposing traits which the mythos would have substituted for our narrative. Far from allowing a purification of the mother of Jesus, and a redemption for himself, to take place in the ordinary manner, Neander thinks the mythos would have depicted an angelic appearance, intended to deter Mary or the priest from an observance inconsistent with the dignity of Jesus. As though even the Christianity of Paul did not maintain that Christ was born under the law, from Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, how much more than the Judaic Christianity whence these narratives are derived? As though Jesus himself had not, agreeably to this view of his position, submitted to baptism, and according to the evangelist, whose narrative is in question, without any previous expostulation on the part of the Baptist. Of more weight is Schleiermacher's other observation, that, supposing this narrative to be merely a poetical creation, its author would scarcely have placed by the side of Simeon Anna, of whom he makes no poetical use still less would he have characterized her with minuteness, after designating his principal personage with comparative negligence. But to represent the dignity of the child Jesus as being proclaimed by the mouth of two witnesses, and especially to associate a prophetess with a prophet, this is just the symmetrical grouping that the legend loves. The detailed description of Anna may have been taken from a real person who, at the time when our narrative originated, 
was yet held in remembrance for her distinguished piety as to the evangelist's omission to assign her any particular speech it is to be observed that her office is to spread abroad the glad news while that of simeon is to welcome jesus into the temple hence as the part of the prophetess was to be performed behind the scenes her precise words could not be given as in a former instance schleiermacher supposes the evangelist to have received his history from the lips of the shepherds so here he conceives him to have been indebted to anna of whose person he has so vivid a recollection neander approves this opinion not the only straw thrown out by schleiermacher to which this theologian has clung in the emergencies of modern criticism at this point also where luke's narrative leaves jesus for a series of years there is a concluding sentence on the prosperous growth of the child verse forty a similar sentence occurs at the corresponding period in the life of the baptist and both recall the analogous form of expression found in the history of samson from judges chapter thirteen verse twenty four and following and section thirty eight